Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Kelly Crichton and this is The Reset Room, a new podcast that aims to give you the tools you need to succeed and answer your questions on your journey to fulfillment. If you missed episode one, you can catch up and meet our two resident experts in life coaching and personal development, the dynamic duo of Kay Woodburn and Amina Walker. Our first episode covered all the challenges we're facing in re-emerging into society and going back to the workplace. So there was some really excellent advice in there, no matter how you're feeling about the new normal. I'm very pleased to say I'll be joined by Kay or Amina each week to look at a specific area of personal challenge when we will tell you just how to navigate life's hurdles and hopefully set you on a path to eternal fulfillment and success. Simple. (laughs) Anyway, later in the podcast, we'll hear directly from listeners looking for some advice around a challenge they are facing and we'll certainly do whatever we can to help out with that. But first, I'm joined by Kay Woodburn. For those who haven't listened before, Kay is the founder and director of Gritty People, a people development consultancy specialising in behavioural change in all aspects of life, from global business to elite sport. Hi, Kay. How are you doing today? I'm very, very well. Thank you, Kelly. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for coming back onto the reset room. We are fully, fully in flow now. Episode two. We we're still going to call ourselves new for another little while. Okay. So first question today, we're going to talk about managing fear as part of performance. I know this is something you're very familiar with, Kay, and will have worked on with many clients. Can you give us an example of when someone might need some help in this area? Absolutely. So it's for me, this I'm very passionate about this particular topic because As a coach, I would say that this is running under the surface in pretty much all of us and and a lot of my clients and and maybe a big part that most of them don't realize they've come to see me about, but but often is the reason they have. And that can be, like you said, I work with people within global business right through to elite sport. So it really does show up in examples such as, let's say, a work presentation. Um, So perhaps you're at work and you're quite happily sitting behind your desk and your manager says, look, I need you to present to the team next week. Um, So it can go right through from work presentations, exam pressures, you know, that's been such a big thing um, over these last two years for for teenagers, um, because actually the the exams have changed. So I know they're assessments, but actually it's a different type of pressure uh, and worry that people are experiencing. And then all the way through to um, sport. So as you mentioned um, in that introduction, I have the absolute pleasure of working with some amazing athletes, um, amateur and professional of all age groups. And I would say this is a really big thing for many athletes, regardless of their sport, um, between what I would say practice day and competition day. So there's something that often comes up between you know, I'm on practice day, I'm having a great day and oh my God, it's competition day. So it really is broad, Kelly, you know, it's um, Mm. it's something I think you just have to be a human being really and it shows up for us in different ways in different contexts. 
Okay, so fear is part of performance, I would have thought. In fact, I imagine fear might actually make us perform better in some situations. I think you're thinking of fight or flight, etc. Can you tell us a, a bit about that? Absolutely, yes. So, so, so fight or flight is, so we, we're probably all familiar or reasonably familiar with this idea of fight, flight and freeze. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, it, it can be okay. It can be a good thing. So, you know, pre-performance jitters are healthy to a degree because what is it's happening there is it's telling your nervous system that you need to prepare for performance. You know, there's something that you're about to do that's a little bit different from maybe what you would normally do. And most people identify with that by, I don't know, like a few butterflies in the belly. You know, they may feel a little bit different, but it's not crippling in any way. It's just... I'm ready. It's telling the body it's ready to go into a performance. And like I said, that could be a work presentation, speaking up in a meeting, you know, or it could be a big competition day um, for an athlete. Now, what's actually happening there is, like I said, quite healthy. But when it tips over just that little bit too much um, and it becomes what I would call performance anxiety, that's when we, you know, we're in that fight, flight or freeze arena. And so, you know, it's that bit that really I work with my clients on and I think it's really, really interesting to understand because you you have, um, your it's basically called your autonomatic nervous system and it's a, a network that supplies all of your vital organs and it's responsible for regulating your body's unconscious actions. So what I mean by that is, you know, this unconscious part of your brain that is responsible for habits, it works on autopilot 24 hours a day. Um, it, de- it, it develops all your behavioral patterns. And because the autonomatic nervous system is responsible for that network and it's kind of running your unconscious actions, when it goes into fight, flight or freeze, it can't function in the same way that it can if it's not in fight, okay. flight or freeze, if that okay. makes sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's what what we need to do is work out, okay, so how do we make it not go mm-hmm. into fight, flight or freeze so that, you know, we can flow. So we, we, we hear this term a lot. I'm sure you've heard that term and the listeners have heard that term many times. Um, but that's basically what it means. It means that we are able to stop that cortisol from releasing into the nervous systems, cortisol being the stress hormone, mm-hmm. at such a pace that performance anxiety kicks in. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah, I suppose I, I had heard the um, fight or flight before, but less so the freeze. But I guess that's a natural reaction as well, isn't it? To something that it, we're afraid of. Absolutely. Yeah. So stage fright is a perfect example mm. of freeze. You know, when people mm-hmm. just um, or, or in sport, we call it choking. You just like mm. you, you just can't move like you freeze. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we saw a little bit. I'm not sure if you could compare it, but, you know, in the Olympics recently where we had mm-hmm. and the tennis where we've had people say, I just had to stop I couldn't perform under that pressure you know and Mm -hmm. and fair enough you know what I mean I think like you're saying it is a natural performance but sometimes it can be problematic and obviously for sports professionals those who are under serious scrutiny it must be even worse you know even though they've probably grown up with it and can deal with to an extent then you add this sort of element of crazy focus that they have on them and it just Mm -hmm. makes it all the worse doesn't it yeah, absolutely. And that's something I come across 
a lot, um, mm. especially with athletes, because mm. you know the the this outcome orientation, this expectation mm. that is often placed upon them, but also they they can internally place upon themselves mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. it's like a sure fast way to let fear breed, uh, because you then start to say, well, who am I if I don't succeed? Who am I if I don't score that goal? Who am I if I don't you know finish first in the race? Um, and it's very much the same. In business because who am I if people judge me and say my presentation isn't great so Mm. you know from a from a very deep level um it's a a fear comes from a place of uh, of um, judgment of a fear of rejection of a fear of who am I in the world if my identity is damaged by this performance that I'm about to do so yeah it's um yeah I think it's equally something we see in both business and sport definitely so can you tell us about when we what we can do if we find ourselves in a position where we're feeling afraid of something we have to do, which perhaps we feel we shouldn't be fearful of? You know, you're conscious that you're afraid of doing something, basically. What can we do in that situation? Yeah, so it's a really great question. I think the the first thing I would say is like talking about these the autonomic nervous system and the unconscious mind it takes your commands. So the way that it's taking your commands is by, it always starts with a thought or an image. So something will come up in your mind, um, which is a future state. Um, For example, some of the listeners will know um, that when they get fearful, they maybe see a picture of themselves uh, flunking the performance, you know, not doing it as well as they'd like to. Or they may hear the the voices of people around them saying they're not good enough or they did a bad performance. So basically the way our brain processes information is either visually, auditory or kinesthetically. Um, So visual is, um, you know, we see images. Auditory is we hear sounds and, Mm -hmm. and kinesthetically is that we feel feelings. Now we all have access to all them three channels, if if you will. Um, but we all have like a primary preference. So mm-hmm. the first thing that I would say is to um, spend some time becoming aware of that. So let's say you're about to think about a future performance mm-hmm. um, again, no matter what that is, whether it's in sport or business or life, generally anything. And just notice that. Just go, okay, right, I can see a picture. That's what mm-hmm. I'm seeing. I'm seeing a picture of myself and it's not going well. Or, you know, I'm hearing him hearing what people are saying. And it sounds like a very simple thing, but actually it's, it's we really, really stop and think about what's triggering this first stage of the of fear for us. The mind doesn't know the difference between real and self-made threats. So it releases cortisol into your body because it's preparing for survival, going back to this fight or flight or freeze. Mm-hmm. And you keep the state running through the narrative and the images that you've created in your mind. And that's Mm. one of the reasons why I really would suggest you're taking a little bit of time to notice what happens for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And like we've said, in few cases, it's helpful, right? If you're going into like um, a dangerous situation or something. Actually, most of the time it's it's self-made. No, we're not 
we're not being chased by a lion when we're on stage. So yeah, I would say so that's our minds are thing. kind of our minds are kind of tricking our bodies essentially. You know, it's like you're breaking out in a sweat if you have to go on stage or whatever. Like literally, physically, you're having a reaction to something you're imagining rather than reality. Yeah, it's perception, absolutely. Mm. And sometimes that's hard to hear because you know we're in it really, really fast. Mm. Um, so yeah, so 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 if you can stop yourself from going into it, brilliant. But stage one might be it's just triggering. I'm just mm. starting to feel this feeling of fear wherever that mm-hmm. shows up for you in your body, and you just take a deep breath and go around. Okay, where is it? And then distance it. Just start to create some distance between you and it. Okay, that's interesting. So it's about that. We sort of touched on that in episode one as well. It's sort of bringing yourself back to the present and kind of Mm, being more focused on what's actually going on rather than what you think is going to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's talk about worst case scenario. You do the thing, say, I don't know, a presentation or asking for a pay rise or whatever this thing is that you've been afraid to do, but it does go wrong. What next? How do you deal with the fallout of that? And how do you deal with addressing it the next time? If there is a next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because that build up, that anticipation, it really goes back to what I was just saying. You know, if we build it up, we make the picture in our head so big, it mm. feels almost insurmountable, like we can't mm. get over it. So shrink the pitch down, firstly. Mm. Make the picture as small as you possibly can, almost to the point you can put it in your hand. Um, mm. And actually, the smaller that picture is in your head, the less difficult it feels to, to step into it. But and you know the anticipation feeling can really reduce with that image being shrunk smaller. Okay. So one of the things that I would propose is fast forward technique, which mm-hmm. is to fast yourself forward to after the performance. So mm-hmm. after the race, after the game, after the meeting that you've been getting anxious about, um, and just imagine yourself feeling how you'll feel then. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward into after it you know it's only a 30 minute meeting it's it's not you know it's only 40 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. or the the performance the race is is only 20 minutes in time and then mm-hmm. just imagine yourself how you're going to feel how you're going to see yourself sat there afterwards who you're going to be speaking to um now going back to your point about wrong like what if it went wrong I think for me that's more about perception mm. Because what does that really mean in terms mm. of it going wrong? Um, mm-hmm. So you may, and this goes actually back, Kelly, it goes back to expectation. If mm. you think about expectation, as soon as you've set an expectation upon yourself or others have set an expectation on you, even if you achieve it, you might feel, okay, okay, so I met expectation. Okay, but if you do not achieve it, you feel a little bit rubbish. Mm. So I'd even take away this whole idea of what are we expecting and change it to what is my desire? What is my hope? So my hope for this meeting is, my hope for this presentation is. So it's more of a, a destinational journey rather than a, a place to get to, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it, actually, rather than, you know, just doing the thing and getting through it is good, isn't it? Um what is failure? What is success? I suppose is what you're talking about there. Absolutely. Yeah. So what does success and failure look like? What does right and wrong look like? Um, so for me, with a lot of the my clients, I avidly take stay away from expectation and outcome mm. orientation because as soon as we like put that level of pressure on ourselves and there's this black and white 
I can do it right or I can do it wrong. It can go well or it can go bad. Mm-hmm. Then as it, there's no gray in the middle. So yes. let, let's say, okay, what are the things that would make today a success? Okay, I stand up. I remember 80% of my words. Mm-hmm. Um, I stand confidently. I enjoy the process. I engage with the audience. Um, mm-hmm. For an athlete, for example, it might be, okay, so yeah, the results, the result, but if I can stay in the moment, if I can concentrate, if I can stay in flow, if I can remember to have fun during the, you know, the process, we, we forget about expectation in that mm-hmm. moment and we mm-hmm. forget about the outcome. And lo and behold, my experiences in, in with both business professionals and athletes, the performances are outstanding. And then they get to the end and go, what? Like that, I came third or second or first. I know, or, I know. And, or the, you know, then they read the feedback yeah. and like, everyone loved it. And mm-hmm. they've even, they've forgotten about the result. And so, yeah, I think, is it, yeah, is there a right and wrong? Or is there a, a different way to embrace what you're about to do in that performance and set different goals for yourself that are not yeah. about the result or the outcome? who's right or wrong, I suppose, is the question you have to ask as well. You know, are you being Mm. hard on yourself? And I think with any big life situations, with any big challenges, no matter what happens, you learn, don't you? You learn from it. Some of the toughest things I've been through have taught me so much and you'd never put yourself through them again, but you've learned a lot and you can take, that's a positive you can take away from it. And often in those situations, it's just you, as you say, it's just you mm. putting that pressure on yourself. Your loved ones wouldn't do the same thing to you. So I think you need to have that kind of mindset as well as if this was my friend, what would I say to her as we talked about last week? Yeah. So on that point around learning, you know, I have a really strongly held belief that it, which is there is no failure. There's only feedback. Mm-hmm. And, and that is exactly that that concept of, of learning that as long as whatever it is, you take a moment afterwards and say, OK, what did I learn from that? You know, how can you, well, failure doesn't really exist within that context, as you quite rightly say, because you can learn from it. What I find really interesting about this idea of, you know, it, it's self-created pressure, self-made threats most of the time. So they're inside our, our own head is the interesting part for me is that the proportionality between the actual event and how much we, attention we pay to it. So, mm. you know, energy flows where your attention goes, right? So mm. as soon as we put attention onto this one moment, so it might be an hour or 30 minutes mm. or five minutes of our day, we put attention on it and it's like watering a, a plant, like it grows and it grows and it grows. So the water... Um, that is used to water a plant is our thoughts in this case. And it grows mm. and grows and grows and it gets bigger. So the proportionality between the importance and relevance of this particular thing we may be fearful of mm. um, is not is not in proportion with its meaning and its importance. Um, and, and I think once we start to do this, like we do that too much, and this is where I, I talk about shrinking things down to its its level of importance in, in comparison to everything else in our life um so yeah i think i think that's a really important thing for uh, i think for people to think about which which is what is the thing you get fearful of mm-hmm. is it really threatening or is it a man-made threat is it something that's within our own heads because absolutely if it is if it's not real external danger then it is absolutely something you can take control of by simply being aware of how you're creating it in, in the mind and then shrinking it down 
you know, shrinking it down so that the attention we're given is proportional to its importance. Some really good advice there. I would say one of the biggest fear inducing situations for me in the past has been job interviews. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just make me uncomfortable. The idea of them even and I've interviewed people and I for jobs and I feel uncomfortable if you know you know I just don't like the scenario I don't like the institution of the job interview but I think that it's that feeling of being judged having a conversation and trying to figure out somebody in like half an hour is just it's I don't think it's a really sensible way to do things I'd much prefer that sort of idea of like oh give me a project or a task to do and let the work speak for itself all about performance mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of people can identify with that sort of being judged element of performance and how you're afraid you'll you'll come across. What do you think about that? Well, I think I think it happens a lot in job interviews, absolutely, mm. because it plays into this underlying fear of fear of not being good enough, you know, because mm. that judgment is intrinsically linked to that. So mm. if, if we do get the job, I've been accepted. If I don't get the job, I've not been accepted. And then mm-hmm. we can really then associate with that. So the important thing here is to be very, very clear that if you are not good enough in that moment for that particular job, that is very different to not being good enough as a human being. Mm. Absolutely, and, and that not good enough moment in that interview was a perception yes. uh, against somebody, uh, very subjective against somebody's expectations that they've set. And expectations for me, and we talk about this a lot in our workshops around what is great. And one of the gritty traits is having an excellent attitude, not a perfect attitude, because mm. I do not buy into this idea of perfection at all. Perfection is unicorns and rainbows. It's mm. somebody else's idea of ideal. Mm-hmm. So for your example of an interview, somebody has created this job role and they have said you're not good enough for their expectation of that job role, right? But mm-hmm. who says that's right or wrong anyway, right? But mm-hmm. I think the big thing that we can do, as I say, is that we then massively blow that up to I am not good enough. And actually it was just in that moment. Mm-hmm. And again, I say the same to athletes, uh, to people that are performing in competition, that you know you may have one race or one game and it didn't go so well. Mm-hmm. Didn't go so well, right? It just didn't go to plan. That's not who you are. You're mm. much more than that one performance. And so, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, they can make us feel uncomfortable. They can make us feel feel judged. But ultimately, they're not all of you. It's just one moment, and it's a very small part of you. Absolutely, I think that's very solid advice. And there's many people out there who will have almost everybody I imagine will have had some sort of a scenario in their life where the outcome wasn't what they wanted and they Mm -hmm. felt you know not good enough as a result but it's like as we were saying earlier well not good enough in whose eyes you know and Mm -hmm. if you can Mm -hmm. understand that maybe whatever they were looking for was not necessarily what you are or there might have been other motives that you weren't aware of or there's such Mm -hmm. a huge amount of things going on in those scenarios that you can't really prepare for that you need to just, you know, keep your own chin up and keep going and the right thing for you will come along and you are good enough. So nice to bear all that in mind. A final word on that is that your outcome is not connected to who you are as a person or self-worth. And I think it's a really important thing to remember that your self-worth is not connected to the outcome of any performance. It's just one moment in time. 
Okay, we're going to move on now to hear from some of our listeners who've been in touch. Uh, This week, we've had an email from Caroline, who's in Leeds. She says she's normally a confident person. Um, She's lots of friends and doesn't find it difficult speaking to new people socially. Uh, She goes on to say that put her in front of an audience and she falls to pieces. Her friends and family find it funny as it's so out with her normal character. Uh, In the past, she's had to call in sick when she's supposed to be doing a presentation in her job as a marketing account manager. She asks, what can she do to help with this anxiety she's feeling? Yeah, I'm really grateful that this is coming as a question. Um, I've had lots of clients with this um, challenge and a particular uh, person I worked with a couple of years ago who, who when they contacted me, were considering handing in the notice because um, they never signed up. Yeah, never signed up for that. You know, in the job Mm. interview, as we were just talking about interviews, Mm. you know, and and this person actually said to me, had I been told this in the interview, I would never have, you know, taken the job. It was that much much of a problem. So, uh, Caroline, I think, you know, this is a great question because I think lots of people have this experience. So I think some of my questions would be, um, because you've said that, you know, this is not in line or in keeping with your personality to the point that people are externally to, to, to you say that it's not, not like your normal character. So the problem's not usually the problem, it's the context in which it sits. Okay, mm. so I'm going to say that again. The problem is not the problem, it's the context in which it sits. So mm. your hu- human processes knows know how to show up be confident, all these things. Uh, but something shifting the state, which is, you know, we talked about this in the last podcast, you know, our perception of the event adjusts the state, so the neurological response we have to the the, um, the event and therefore our behaviour. And, and this is clearly something that's happening here. So my questions would be, what it, what shifts it? So is it a particular topic? And for, for all the listeners, if you experience this, the answer will be different for everybody. You know, if you was to stand up and talk about yourself, would you feel different to if you talked about something that you are very confident that you do really well at work um, to something that somebody's asked you to present? You know, is there a difference in, in how you feel based on the topic? Is there a difference in terms of the number of people in the room? OK, so do this look that number exercise. Three people, five people, seven people. 10 people and as you kind of hear those words there'll be something again that changes your state that makes you go oh nope that's enough no more than that okay and now at that point the the discomfort the fear starts to creep in the type of people so this is usually an interesting one people to do so my family my friends my peers my managers the senior team (laughs) a bunch of strangers Uh. You can feel yeah, the anxiety you, growing. Oh yeah, do you see, right? So Absolutely. I think, so I guess my advice here is that break it down. Be super, super razor sharp, clear on what it is that's inducing this anxiety for you. Mm. Um, that That's the first thing I'd say. So, you know, is it the topic? Is it the number of people in the room? Is it, you know, the type of people in the room? Are you, and, and, and again, this is all perception of the type of people that are in the room. Mm. Um, again, I, co- I coach somebody who um, attends a particular call every week. And when this particular person joins the call, they're um, high on the anxiety scale. But if that other person, if that particular person is not on the call, low on the anxiety scale. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it, 
really interesting stuff. So do check in with that. Um, and then the second thing is, um, I think once you've done that, you start to explore um, how you do anxiety. Now, this might sound a bit crazy, right? So I'm going to explain it. Anxiety doesn't happen to us. We do it. It's a it's a process that we do internally. We we you know one thing triggers another. Mm-hmm. So we may see there's five people in the room, and it's seeing the five people in the room that then triggers the cortisol to get released into my body, and then I get a fast heart rate. And then as soon as I get a fast heart rate, um, my ability to remember all the things I was going to say shuts down. Mm. Okay, so there's always a pattern. So I would just say, you know, once you've got a super clear on, on, on what, you know, what, what the environment externally would be, then come internally and start to notice your own pattern um, in terms of how, how you, you do anxiety. So I feel like I should explain that a little bit further. So what I mean by that is if you can start to identify step one, I see the thing. Step two, mm-hmm. I get a heart rate increase. Step three, I get sweaty palms. Step four, my shoulders go tense. If you can identify how you do it, you can also work out how to undo it. So you can interrupt the process. If that makes sense, you can say, okay, at this point, I go into high anxiety. So I'm going to stand up and I'm going to walk around the room and I'm going to do what what we uh, would call um, or what I would call as a coach um, is a break state. So it might be you stand up and jump on the spot or I'm going to do some deep breaths. Uh, I'm going to make a loud noise to take my attention somewhere else. But, But it's basically called breaking state because all that's happening as this process is one thing's knocking onto another it sends you into this downward spiral and you end up Mm. in this place of anxiety so I guess the thing is here Kelly is empowerment is if you can understand your process you can interrupt it and that's really empowering it it makes me think of you know in the movies when someone's panicking someone slaps them across the face and then they snap out of it it's kind of the same thing isn't it it's like you need you need to just be brought back down to earth and go like shook into reality and not wherever your mind is taking you so that makes total sense to me yeah it's such a good example that's a perfect example of break state so as a don't, coach don't, don't go around slapping yourself in the face or anybody yeah. else for that matter <laughs> yeah there's no advice yeah okay so a much safer option um something that is i'll tell you a very quick story actually which i might get told off by my husband for telling this story but i'm gonna tell it anyway um so when my son was about six or seven he'd been naughty so my son my my husband had kind of lowered himself down to his level and he was telling him off that's very naughty camera and you shouldn't behave like that mm-hmm. uh, you know quite stern telling off and um my um husband said to my son what have you got to say about your behavior and my son's response was very deadpan in his face he went your breath stinks <laughs> And me, my husband and Cameron just broke out laughing, you know, oh, crying, laughing. Hilarious. And I'll never forget that break state moment because it's like, okay, let's get rid of the tension here. You oh, know, it's hilarious. just so smiling, laughter, humor, mm, anything mm, like that. Maybe it's mm-hmm. more advisable than slapping. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, I like <laughs> it. I like it. <laughs> Try and think of something funny instead. Okay, yeah, exactly. cool. So we've had um, some more... Um, Listeners contact us. I have one here from Jessica, an email. She says she enjoys playing softball and hockey, but that she gets quite worked up when her team loses. 
She says she can remain angry or annoyed for hours after her match, even finding herself lying in bed unable to sleep. She doesn't play these sports professionally, but she enjoys the camaraderie and the health benefits of being fit. She asks if you have any advice, Kay, on how to cope with this emotional reaction she seems to have when she loses. Well, it's funny she points out she's not professional because she she obviously takes it quite seriously from what she's mm. saying. Mm. Yeah, she obviously does take it very seriously. And you know what? She's invested. She clearly loves what she does and it's very mm. important to her. So, you know, there's something going on there for Jessica that is making this really important to her. Um, and, and I think this is, you know, again, a really great question because whether you're professional or not, you've, you're invested. Um, mm. So a couple of things I would ask Jessica uh, is why does, she, why does she do the sport she does? Mm. So purpose. You know, like intrinsic motivation comes from mm. the limbic part of our brain. And this part of our brain is like five times stronger than any other part. It's like, it's the part, it's an impulsive part of our brain. It's the bit that sends us into an emotional response. Mm. It's the reason people end up on the top of a table when there's a teeny weeny spider kind of, you know, moving yes. around the kitchen floor, right? Yeah, it yeah, comes yeah. from that part of our brain. So mm. it's a very irrational thing. Mm-hmm. So... The reason I'm asking Jessica why does she play is because the part of the brain that's responsible for emotional responses is also the part of the brain that's responsible for intrinsic motivation. And if she can kind of really connect with herself and say, right, this is why I play, um, and I think she's already said health and fitness, I would, I don't know if fun's in there, Jessica, if she's listening, you know, like what, what, what else is in there? If she can really let that part of her brain know, why she does it she's less likely to fast forward to you know the problem of you know if if I don't succeed or if if we don't win this particular game so I'd say really connect with your intrinsic motivators and kind of stay true to them and be clear on why, why you do what you do I wonder, and I am just curious, if there's something in there about it being a team sport if there's something mm. for her going on in terms of being part of a team and mm-hmm. feeling like they want to win and you know they lose together feeling responsible for part of that so mm-hmm. I'm not sure because obviously it's not here to answer but I wonder if there's an element of feeling responsible uh, as part of that team um and and, and I guess the final thing um I would I'd, I'd give as, a, as as an advice is so I I um talk to everyone all my clients about hippo time so hippo time is a bit of a I don't know, you might, I don't know if you've heard of hippo time before, no. um, but hippo time is just give yourself some slack, like be okay with being a bit annoyed for a bit, mm. but it's got to have a time on it. So the hippo thing is, you know, just roll around in your own muck for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I said it's, that as politely as I can. <laughs> it sounds slightly nicer than piggy time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I said it in the best way I could, but you know, gift yourself with some time. So Mm. after the performance, say, okay, that didn't go to plan. That's not what I wanted to happen. Mm. So I'm going to give myself um, 15 minutes. So I think Jessica said she can spend quite a lot of time. So whatever that time is, just reduce it down. And then Mm. then as you get good at that, just reduce it down further. Uh, With the athletes that I work with, you know, a lot of them now we're down at like five minutes. You know, they're allowed like five minutes and they'll even set a timer after the performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when we're done, we're done. Like, we're done right we've been annoyed we've got angry we can shout if we want we can stamp our feet if that's what we Mm -hmm. want to do but after that it's done and then we quickly move into okay what did I learn because as we said earlier on 
it's all good, right? As long as you took something from it. And while you're mm-hmm. frustrated and angry, you're not learning. You're not you're mm-hmm. not getting something good out of it, the juice out of that performance to take into the next one. And you know what? If you do that, you're more likely to win the next one. Mm-hmm. And so, and your energy that you're wasting, which I'm sure you already know, Jessica, otherwise you wouldn't have asked the question, um, can be channeled into something else so yeah I would say hypo time is a really really good thing to to do and you set your own time um that's going to work for you I like the idea of that I think there's a lot to be said for you know when something negative happens you don't want to just push it down either necessarily I know with these sports people you know that might be regular thing and they can learn to manage it but in sort of everyday life pushing down Yeah, you need to kind of feel it and experience it and then move on rather than pushing it down and not dealing with it at all. So get some hippo time in, (laughs) whether it's uh, Uh, 15 minutes or five minutes, as you say. Absolutely. And, you know, if you think about it, I I couldn't agree with that more. I think to suppress emotion is is for me not just really the worst thing we can do mm. it's it suppressed emotion uh, suppressed emotion creates depressed people we're depressing we're pushing everything down and not honoring the feeling mm. so it's absolutely encouraged uh, to let that out and let it pass through because one it's like a wave of emotion that's good like happiness we would go yeah we've won or that that meeting went brilliant i'm so proud of myself that was brilliant but when it doesn't go to plan, we go, okay, it's fine. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. Let's just mm. not talk about that. Mm. So what? 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 that is really unhealthy. So we absolutely want to honour it, give it its hip or time, put a timer on it and the feeling's out and we can move on. Absolutely. Take the rough with the smooth. I think a lot of people can identify with that feeling of losing for sure. Maybe not as a player, but as a supporter, it's a fairly common human experience so uh, hopefully we've helped Jessica a little bit today thanks for being with us today Kay thanks Kelly bye next week we Amina Walker will be here with me and we'll be discussing how you know it's a time for change and what you can do to assess your situation and happiness remember if you have a question in this area or any area of personal development you can drop us an email to kelly.crichton at jpimedia.co.uk and we'll aim to get you the advice you need Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Reset Room. You can follow us on Twitter at National World and on Facebook at National World UK. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends about it if you're enjoying it. The Reset Room is a laudable production produced and hosted by me, Kelly Crichton. Our resident experts are Kay Woodburn of grittypeople.co.uk and Amina Walker, who you'll find on aminawalker.com. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week. 